Our preacher this morning is Ramelia Williams. Um, so you know by that response that Ramelia is not really a guest. Uh, she is one of us. She is a member of this church, one of the founding uh, members of this church. I don't know how much she will update you on her life, but currently she is living, she's suffering for Jesus in San Diego is what she's, is what she's doing, um, working as a hospital chaplain as part of her seminary education. Uh, so most of us are hoping that she will be coming back this way within the next uh, few months to finish out her education and rejoin the ministry here. But uh, many of you have been blessed by her preaching before, by her ministry. I like to say about Romelia that there's nothing in our church that she has not been a part of. <laughs> I mean, every ministry at some point, Romelia has been a part of. And uh, uh, that, more than anything else, I think tells us a lot about her heart uh, uh, for serving her God, but also her heart for serving and loving uh, you. And so I'm, I'm very thankful uh, to her. So let me pray for her, pray for our offering, and then she'll come. God, thank you for the opportunity to give. Thank you that we can give as an act of worship, not, not, not duty, not uh, out of guilt or manipulation, but that in response to who you are and your love for us, we can live generous lives. We pray uh, for Romelia now. We thank you for the gifts that you have given her. We thank you for the word that you have given her. We thank you for the circumstances in her life that allowed her to hear what she needed to hear from you for this message. Speak to her. Speak to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you welcome her, please? Oh, I was supposed to give an update. Wait, just you can, it'll be real quick. You can get your notes situated. Uh, we are in a sermon series. This is what I was supposed to say. We're in a sermon series right now about discipleship from Luke chapter 9. And so Romelia is taking part three today. Each week, we're just taking one word from Luke chapter 9. So Michelle Dodson took the word proclaim. Uh, what word did I take last week? Withdraw. And, uh, and this week, this week, <laughs> oh, look, it's right on the bulletin. And this week, you're going to hear uh, Romelia talk just from the word uh, give. And so the, the vision here for, for this sermon series is that we would, are you done with this? Oh, okay. Is that we would uh, have a, a clear idea of what it looks like for us uh, to respond to Jesus, to do the sorts of things that we see Jesus do. This is kind of the vision of discipleship that we see in this chapter. How is that? Is it pretty close? That's okay. All right. Good morning, new community. Good morning. I will bless the Lord at all times, and his praises shall continually be in my mouth. My soul has made her boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear thereof and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt God's name together. Oh, taste and see that the Lord, he is good. Blessed is the man that trusts in him. This is the day, new community, that the Lord has made, and I will rejoice and be glad in it. Let us enter into his gates with thanksgiving and come into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless God's holy name. Good morning. Good morning. I'm super excited to be here this morning, especially since um, Pastor David talked a little bit about the imperfections of um, building a new church and that kind of thing, because I feel a little bit out of my element. Um, it's been a little while since I've done this, and so I'm a little nervous. So just pray my strength in the Lord, as they say. Um, 
Um, so just very briefly, um, people often ask me, how's San Diego, how's San Diego treating you? And I was, as I was just telling Aaron, um, I love San Diego and I hate San Diego. Um, there's oceans and mountains and canyons and hiking and beautiful sunshine and warm weather and I love it. Um, but it is a very alone place for me. There is not family and friends and the people that I love most um, to be present there with me to enjoy San Diego. So I love it and I hate it. It's a tale of two cities um, for me. So, um, so there you go. And so not quite sure what I was thinking a month ago when I bought a ticket to come to Chicago in the middle of winter. Um, but love will make you do crazy things. Um, so here I am. So just to let you know, I do love and miss um, this fellowship and this ministry, this church. So if you can open your Bibles, I think um, Renee was able to get the text for me. Um, we're going to open to Luke chapter 9. And we're going to start at the 10th verse. And I am going to begin reading with you, if you can stand to honor the reading of God's word. And if you can, um, I'll begin reading with you. I'll drop out if you can continue through verse 17. When the apostles returned, they reported to Jesus what they had done. This is the word of the Lord. Um, please have your seats as I repeat the focus verse for today is verse 13. But he said, you give them something to eat. But he said, you give. Please pray with me. God, I thank you for the opportunity to break the bread of life to these, your people. Today I come to New Community, having traveled over 2,000 miles, to come and feed these, your people, that hunger and thirst after the things of God. Today, sitting before me is a gathering of people much like in the text we just read. Some in the crowd were curious. Some in the crowd were acquainted with the speaker. Some in the crowd were just passing by and were inquisitive about this strange group of people gathering together. Some had heard about God and how he was able to cure. Some came desiring healing. Some came desiring hope. Maybe even some came out of habit. 
And some came desiring to participate in the building of the new kingdom of God on earth. And so today, God, I pray that no matter the reason each individual has walked through that door, I pray that they would have an encounter with the Christ who has the power to transform their life, a God who has the power to heal sickness, a God who has the power to quench thirst, a God who has the power to feed the hungry, and a God who has the capacity to fill emptiness. Today, I am asking, O oh God, that you be the voice of direction, the voice of guidance, and the voice of hope to these, your beloved people. Only you can fill us in this way, and we come and ask it of you in the name of Jesus the Christ, I pray. Amen. Amen. I want to start this sermon by giving context to where we find the disciples at this point in the book of Luke. Thus far, Jesus has been traveling, preaching, and putting together his dream team. Jesus is healing leprosy and lame folk. He's causing the dead to have life. He's casting out demons and using his priestly authority to forgive people's sins. Even as he is chastised by the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, he continues to heal the people. Jesus is like a magnet and draws magnitudes of people because of his wonder-working power. Jesus comes on the scene with a gangster lean, and he is doing the doggone thing. Jesus is healing all manner of sickness and disease. He's multiplying resources. He's prophesying things that become reality. Jesus is the man in the eyes of the disciples. The disciples are watching what Jesus is doing and believing in his power. But in chapter 9, the book of Luke calls the disciples to make a paradigm shift. Chapter 9 is where the rubber meets the road for their faith. Chapter 9 calls the disciples to act on what they believe in their hearts. Jesus is saying to, to them, you have seen what I am doing. Now you do it. It's your turn. If you want to be my disciples, you must follow me. You must mimic me. Sometimes in life, there's a disconnect between our belief and our actions. We believe fully in our hearts, but our actions are juxtaposed to what we truly believe. The disciples will now learn that their belief should be expressed in their actions. And so this is where uh, we find the disciples today in the ninth chapter of Luke Jesus sees their capabilities, and he encourages them to use what he's sowing in their lives. Verse 13 in the New Living Translation, I like the way verse 13 reads. It says, but Jesus said, you feed them. Impossible, they protested. Impossible. We have only five loaves of bread and two fish. I hear the disciples saying, what can we offer? Do we really have something to give? Here we are in a deserted place where there are no resources to feed this multitude of people. What view did they have of themselves to make them rebuttal the command of the Father? You give. Impossible, they protest. They did not even consider that they might have the power. They did not even consider that they might have the resources to respond to the need. 
They went to Jesus to tell him that it was time to send the people away to the next villages, to the next towns to find food to eat. But they did not consider the fact that they might be the answer to the problem. They did not consider that they might have the resources to meet the needs of the people. They express a lack of faith in God's ability to give them the power they need to do the thing that he is asking of them to do. You give them something to eat. Impossible, they exclaim. You feed them. Impossible, they cry. The resources, they're too limited here. This morning, I wonder if there are places in our lives where we have prayed for God to send someone to resolve a problem for which we might be the solution. This morning, I wonder if there are places in our lives where we have complained about an issue at work or an issue in our neighborhood and never even considered that we might be the catalyst for change. This morning, I wonder if there are challenges in your family or your home that you look at and declare impossible. This will never change. I wonder if re-looking at the same old problem with the fresh new perspective might be something, might help you to see something that you never considered. For note takers, I'm getting ready to say something really profound. Get your pen, get your pen ready. When we realize that the thing God is calling us to do is impossible, that is the place where we should recognize that it will take a power outside of ourselves to accomplish the work. When we realize that the thing that God is calling us to do is impossible, there is the place where we should recognize that it will take a power outside of ourselves to accomplish the work. Now, I do want to celebrate here that the disciples did, in fact, recognize the need. They saw that it was getting late and the people needed to have dinner. They foresaw that some might be too weak to travel the long journey home without nourishment. I wonder if it was necessary, though, for the disciples to come to a place where they could see the need, realize their resources were withered and dried, and recognize their frailty to complete the task. Then they would come to the place where they would know that they needed him, that they would know that they needed Jesus, that they needed to partner with him to complete the work. They needed to recognize their need for him. And this scenario causes me to think of the story of David and Goliath in the first, um, the first book of Sam Samuel, chapter 17, and David is the, the youngest child, but the one that is hated by his brothers. And his dad sends him, you know the story, his dad um, sends him to the battle line where his three brothers are serving with King Saul. And there's Goliath, who is a, a mammoth um, 
massive giant who is coming to um, fight with the Philistines, and they are coming to fight the armies of Israel. And so David's brothers are standing on the battle line, and uh, Jesse, their father, sends David to come and um, check on his brothers and see how things are going and to bring back a good report um, that his brothers are okay. And so here's this Philistine who comes and taunts the, uh, the Israelite army every day. They stand in the face of impossibility, and they, they, um, they are um, hiding in fear um, from this impossible task that stands before, before them. And then here comes David, who's been on the backside of a mountain, slaying lions and tigers and bears, oh my. And here he comes, and his brothers are saying to him, leave, what are you doing here? There's no way we can, you can be of help to us here. But David comes with something that, um, that none of those in, in the army had. And the backside of a mountain, David was in a place where it was just him and God where he was fully able to depend on God to help him to keep and protect and cover the sheep that he was caring for. And so he knew how to depend on God in a way that the armies didn't know how to do. And so here he comes and he says, what are you thinking? How might this Philistine defy the armies of the living God? What are you thinking? And so David comes and he gets his slingshot and, and he slays the, slays the, the giant. And so this it makes me think of how the disciples um, dealt with an impossible task and um, how that is juxtaposed to how David um, viewed an impossible task. David said, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. And so I say when we realize that the thing that God is calling us to do is impossible, that is the place where we should recognize that it will take a power outside of ourselves to accomplish the work. And David was able to see that. We just celebrated MLK, um, uh, MLK Day last week. And um, I wonder, I wonder as I was writing this, if there were times in uh, the life of Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. when he thought racial reconciliation, that thing right there is an impossible beast. Why should I tackle such a huge task? Racial equality? <laughs> impossible. There are those that I am even fighting for that are telling me to be quiet and to stop rebel rousing. I wonder if he thought this was an impossible feat. I don't know what his thoughts were, but I would be willing to bet that there were times in the recesses of his mind when he may have thought the task impossible. So where did he find the inspiration to move beyond those thoughts? How did he have hope in spite of the obstacles? Well, as you ponder those questions, let me share with you something that annoys me about the recognition of Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. I think that many times people forget those three letters that precede his name. You see, the proper title that should precede his name is Reverend Dr. But most of the time he is referred to as Martin Luther King or Dr. Martin Luther King. 
I believe that many times people look beyond the fact that he was a preacher first. The fact that he was a minister before he was a drum major for justice. The fact that his social activism was born out of a faith in a righteous God. The fact that the pursuit of racial equality was ministry for him. So let's ponder together where he find, found hope amid the obstacles that faced him. To quote my beloved pastor, Jeremiah A. Wright Jr., who wrote a book of sermons entitled, What Makes You So Strong? I asked the question, what made Reverend Dr. King so strong? Again, I can't read his mind, but I would be willing to bet that he knew the power of partnering with God to accomplish the mountainous task set before him. I believe he knew, as it says in Romans 5 and 5, that hope does not disappoint because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. I believe he knew, as it states in Isaiah 40 and 31, that those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will mount up on wings as eagles. They will run and not be weary. They will walk and not faint. I believe that he might have known the story of Jesus' birth and how when the angel came to Mary, he started out by declaring, Mary, the Lord is with you and ended with, for nothing is impossible with God. When we realize that the thing God is calling us to do is impossible, that is the place where we should recognize that it will take a power outside of ourselves to accomplish the work. Jesus ultimately performed this miracle of feeding a multitude by looking for God's blessing on what he wanted to accomplish. Verse 16 says, And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and blessed and broke them. Here Jesus is teaching the disciples that even he is not self-sufficient. His sufficiency comes from a God who is his source and his strength. This miracle, this task, this impossible feat required total dependence on God. When we realize that the thing God is calling us to do is impossible, there is the place where we should recognize that it will take a power outside of ourselves to accomplish the work. Moving on to verse 16. In the New Living Translation, verse 16 speaks of the loaves and the fishes, and it says, he kept giving the bread and fish to the disciples to give to the people. He kept giving the bread and the fish to the disciples to give to the people. If you would allow me to paraphrase this verse, I would say he kept giving so they could give. He kept giving so they could give. The, power, the transfer of power from Jesus to his disciples was meant to be a partnership. 
Remember, he said, I am the vine, you are the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. He keeps giving so we can give. He keeps giving us forgiveness so we can forgive one another. He keeps giving us unconditional love so that we can love our neighbors. He keeps giving us peace so that we can be peacemakers. He keeps giving us deliverance so that we can give compassion. He keeps giving us loving kindness so that we can offer leniency. He keeps giving us his faithfulness so that we can give others hope. He keeps giving us courage so that we can advocate for justice. He keeps giving us his authority in the earth so that we can give freedom to prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind. He keeps giving us vision so that we can give our lives back to him. He keeps giving us provision so that we can give our some of our resources to supply another's need. He keeps giving us healing so that we can give a reason for others to believe in him. He keeps giving so we can give. He kept giving the bread and fish to the disciples to give to the people. I give so you can give. I give so you can give. The disciples had just returned from a journey where they were instructed not to bring food, clothing, or money. Jesus told them, don't worry about your needs on this journey. I will fully supply them. And so now as they stand and face this impossibility, they are reminded freely you have received, now freely give. On their journey, they freely received from the people and communities they were sent to. Now they were being called to freely give. Freely you received, now do for this crowd what I have done for you. Freely give. For God so loved the world that he gave, now you give. I, I hear a couple other messages in, in this verse. First, I hear the message, you give, but it ain't about you. Do you think God feeds us for the purpose of making our bellies full? He feeds us that we might be shaped and formed into his image of giver. God had just amply supplied for the disciples on their journey. Now it was their turn to mimic him. I fed you. Now you feed them. I gave to you. Now you give to them. Secondly, I see that the disciples could only freely distribute what they had been given. He kept giving the bread and fish to the disciples to give to the people. Jesus was saying, you don't have to perform the miracle, just be prepared to distribute it. Be prepared to hand it out. Are you prepared to be a vessel God can use? to pass out his blessings? Are you prepared to be one he can use to answer a prayer? Are you available to be his hands and feet in your world? 
Are you available to feed people what they need with what he has placed in your hands? What has he given you to bless others with? What has God placed in your hands that can be, give, be a life-giving resource for others? What was distributed to you that you are hoarding or don't want to share? He gives so that we can give. I wonder if you uh, remember being younger, elementary school, um, and choosing teams on the playground. Um, the team leader got to choose whom they saw fit, um, and they chose whom they thought would best help them to win the game, right? So even in a child's mind, there was a strategy that was being formulated with the goal of winning. Likewise, before the foundations of the world, God pondered who he wanted on his team. I've got good news for you this Sunday morning. You were chosen. You, my brothers and my sisters, are on the team. And not only are you on the team, but you're on the winning team. God desired to make witnesses in the earth of new community covenant before it ever came to be. God said, who can I trust with my dream for this church? Hmm, I choose Michelle Dodson. I will give her a vision of the church before the church founders ever cross paths. God desired to duplicate new community covenant Logan Square on the south side of Chicago. Who can handle this awesome task? Hmm, God says, I choose Pastor David to plant a multicultural, multiracial church in Bronzeville. God says, whom shall I choose to minister to sick people in hospitals and clinics in my name and for my glory? Hmm. I choose Eric and Stephanie Changchin to partner to do this work together. God thought, whom shall I choose to passionately teach and care for low-income children on the south side of the Chicago? Hmm. I choose Sonia Wang and many others in this congregation to teach and live out the gospel in the classroom. And one day God said, whom shall I choose to raise a very stubborn and obstinate child? I choose Robert and Brenda Williams. And he told them to call her name Ramelia Danielle. God said, whom shall I send to pray and care for the children in the schools of Bronzeville? Hmm. You heard this morning, I choose New Community Bronzeville to partner with a team of churches that commit to pray around the schools and serve these children in very practical ways. I come to put you on notice this morning. You were chosen. God says, I chose you to give. God says, I chose you to give. As a chaplain, um, as Pastor David mentioned, I serve as a hospital chaplain in um, San Diego. And um, before going there, I didn't know that I don't quite fit the profile of um, a chaplain. 
And so I'm reminded of that um, very often. And on this one particular occasion, um, uh, we have a, a trauma unit at the hospital and I answered a call to, to the trauma room. And um, there was an older gentleman who um, um, was nearing death and he was on life support. And a couple family members, a husband and wife, had brought him to the hospital. And so one of the things that uh, people in crisis do is they will repeat a story over and over and over and over, um, the story that led up to the trauma that happened. And it's a way I think of them in their mind making something very unreal um, become real for them. And so this gentleman and his wife, I was sitting in the room with them, maybe about 30 minutes thus far. And they're repeating the story over and over again, over and over again of what happened before they called the ambulance and got the gentleman to the hospital. And so mostly the husband is talking over and over, over and over, same story. He's telling, repeating the story and um, almost in a trance like. And so his wife got up and went to the bathroom and he was repeating the story. And at one moment she's out of the room and he turns to me and he says, so how did you get to become the chaplain? And so I didn't have a response for him. Um, and so there were a, a, a number of things that flowed through my mind um, that could have been the reasons why he um, would have asked me a question like that. Um, it could have been the nature of my sun-kissed skin. It could have been um, the fact that I am a woman and I am a chaplain. Um, or it could have been the fact that I just have a very youthful appearance. I'm, I'm gonna go with that one, I'll go with that one. I'll go with that one. Um, and so it, it really bothered me um, because it's not the first time that I've had that kind of um, encounter in the hospital. And so I prayed about it because these situations kind of annoy me and I'm like, God, uh, you sent me here um, to do this work and um, I feel like I'm being challenged in this work that, that you have called me to do. Um, and I love the response that God gave me. I said, God, what am I supposed to say when these people ask me that? And he said, you are on assignment from me. I put you there. I placed you there. You're chosen. I chose you to be there for such a time as this. And so God gave me the response the next time I have one of those encounters, I am on assignment from God. And so likewise, you were chosen. God chose you to give. And so the praise team can come up as I close here. Two thousand years ago, God asked the same question: Whom shall I choose? Who shall go for us to save the people from themselves? Ha, I choose me. I am the one. I am that. I am. 
I am the first and I am the last. I am the beginning and I am the end. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He climbed up on an old rugged cross and gave his life for you and for me. Jesus, you go first, then I'm going to send the Holy Spirit in the game after you return to me. The Holy Spirit was chosen to give comfort to God's people. The Holy Spirit was chosen to make intercession for us when we don't know how to pray for ourselves. Then Jesus was chosen to return to the earth in the last days to reclaim those that God has chosen to be his special possession. God chooses. And God chose you to give. Please pray with me. God, I thank you for the opportunity that you have given us to give. God, you didn't create us to be hoarders of your love and your peace and your mercy and your kindness. But God, you created us to be rivers. Rivers of living water that will flow, flow from our lives into the lives of others. And so God, in this moment, I pray that your Holy Spirit would begin to speak to these, your people, about the ways that you have called them to give. Before the foundations of the world, when you were shaping and creating them in the darkness of their mother's womb, you had a design and a purpose for their lives. You put a love, little love and you added a little joy and a little peace and you created and shaped each one to give glory to your name in some special way. So Holy Spirit, I pray that you would now speak to these, your people. What is that thing that you have placed deep down on the inside that maybe we've buried or we've not wanted to look at? Or, 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 or maybe we know that we know that we know what that thing is that you've called us to give, but we have cried, impossible! The resources are too limited. I'm not enough. I'm not good enough. I'm not perfect enough. I'm not tall enough. I'm not wide enough. I'm not worthy enough. I don't have the resources. I don't have the, the direction that I need. I, I, I wouldn't even know how to begin to do that thing. That thing is too big. That thing is too big.
for me to be able to accomplish. And so to you, God says, at the moment when you recognize impossibility, there is the place that I want you to be because it is then and there that you know that you need me to complete the work. And so, God, I pray that this would be a holy moment in a sacred space where we don't figure out how to do the thing you've called us to do, and we don't figure out how to give the thing you've called us to give, but let this just be a holy moment where we inside of ourselves in our own way just say yes, where we just say yes. Yes, God, I'll give. Yes, God, I'll go. Yes, God, I'll do. Yes, God, I will serve you. Yes, God, I will completely give my life over into your hands. For you are worthy, for you created me, and for that I owe you my life. And so Holy Spirit, speak in this place, move how you want to move, say what you want to say. God, change the roughness of, of hearts, till the soil of our hearts that we might be soft enough and malleable enough to hear what it is that you want to say. Speak now, Holy Spirit. How have you been calling your people to give, not just individually, but even as a church community? How are you calling this church to give back to you all that they are and all that they hope to be You speak now. God, you have the words of everlasting life. You have the words of everlasting life. Speak, Holy Spirit. Have your way in this place. Speak, Holy Spirit. Have your way in this place. Speak, Holy Spirit. You have the words of everlasting life. Speak, Holy Spirit. You have the words of everlasting life. Be a river of living water that flows through this place. Flow through hearts and minds. Give understanding. Give direction. Speak guidance. Give truth. Break down barriers. Break down yokes. Silence the voices that would tell us to do that will tell us that we can't do the thing that you're calling us to do. Silence those voices and let the word of the Lord ring true. Let the word of the Lord be free. Have your way, have your way, have your way. Have your way, have your way, have your way. As I close, God, I pray that you would just continue to speak to your people, continue to stir up in their hearts a fresh word, a fresh anointing, a renewed spirit, a restored hope. Continue to work in their hearts. Continue to speak to their spirits this week, oh God. And then, God, I pray that you would be waiting to be the help that they need. 
be waiting to be the help that they need when they come to the place of impossibility. Be waiting to partner with them to help them to give in the ways that you, oh God, have called them to give and to serve you. I thank you and I praise you for it. I glorify you. I honor you. I lift you up. I bless your holy name. And God, I believe that you have done it in Jesus' name. You said that your word would not return to your void, but that it would accomplish the purpose for which you have sent it. And so I thank you for it now in Jesus' name. I believe you for the good report. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amelia to come and give the benediction, but there's uh, one thing we need to do uh, before that, and this, uh, uh, I think her sermon perfectly uh, leads us into this. I want to ask uh, Christine Vilas if she'll come up uh, now. We're going to pray for Christine. Uh, many of you know that over the past, uh, over a month, uh, she's been serving as a foster mother uh, to little Isaiah, and uh, he's, uh, uh, he's leaving her care this week, and uh, there are all kinds of uh, family uh, situations and trauma that make this not an easy transition uh, for him uh, or for Christine. And uh, so Romelia's uh, words to us this morning about uh, giving that which God has given us to give have been exhibited to us in very uh, stark and poignant ways in the life of Christine over the past uh, month or so. Uh, so we want to just uh, spend a minute praying for her as she uh, says goodbye uh, and praying for Isaiah, praying for his family. So what I want to do is I want to actually ask those of you who know Christine, uh, who have served with Christine, come forward right now, please. I want you to literally surround her, uh, lay your hands on her and support and encouragement that she would know the power of the Holy Spirit in her life. We love her. We love Isaiah, but not nearly as much as our God does. So let's pray. Pray for little Isaiah, Lord. We thank you for the time that he has sojourned with us. We don't know your plans. We don't know uh, his future, but you do. We don't have to question your love for him. We don't have to question your desire for a safe home and family for him. We don't have to question the, the future and the hope that he has in you. So we pray that you would protect his life. Pray that you would surround him, Lord God, with uh, your angels. We pray that you would surround him with uh, people who love you and will love him. We pray for miraculous healing in his family's life. We pray that every addiction would be broken, every stronghold would be defeated in the name of Jesus. So that this family could be restored. So that they could know peace hope, stability. We ask that she would reunite what has been torn apart. That she would bring hope where there has been hopelessness. We 
thank you for our sister Christine. We thank you that as Romelia has said, she, she has said yes to you in this way, in this way that has cost her, has been painful at times. Holy Spirit of the living God, would you replenish her? Would you give her everything that she needs this week for every hard conversation, for every confusing phone call? for every surprising conversation with Isaiah, for for every one of those moments, give her exactly what she needs, Lord God. Help her not to uh, be working out of her own strength in the coming days, but that she would know the presence of the living God in her life. She lacks nothing for this assignment. She lacks nothing. Use us, your people, this church, to encourage her to stand beside her. Use us to lift up her arms when she gets tired. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 So my thanks again to Eddie for leading us today. Um, He'll be back, yes? We'll welcome him back to lead us again. Um, and, uh, and my thanks to Romelia as well for preaching, for speaking truth to us today. Um, if, I can, if I can just come alongside her and say that, that there, there are things uh, for some of you that you know <laughs> that God has spoken to you about, and maybe for a long, long time. Uh, maybe for a long, long time, God has said, I want you to give this. I want your life to be about this, and it has, it's just been too big. It's been too much. So allow today to be one of those moments where, you're, where you at least take the next step. Just the next step. You don't have to know the rest of your life. Amen? You don't even have to know the rest of this week. Just the next step. Amelia, come. Bless us. Give us the benediction. Thank you again. I thank you for this opportunity to just come and be with you and be loved by you and to just remember um, uh, the fellowship of the saints and how um, much that is uh, a gift of God to me. First Corinthians 9 and 17 says, for if I do this of my own will, I have a reward. But if not of my own will, I am entrusted with a commission. For if I do this of my own will, I have a reward. But if not of my own will, I am entrusted with a commission. God sends miracles into the earth through our hearts and our hands. Who is waiting to see the revelation of God through your hands? Who is waiting to see the revelation of God through your heart? Whose praise to God is caught up in the gift of God that you have been commissioned to deliver? I pray that this week you would discover the thing that God is asking you to give. I pray that you would have the courage to partner with God to see the possibilities in the impossible. I pray that the miracle would be the transformation of your life as you give. Go in peace. Amen.